Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You done with your Oreo? Yeah. <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, Do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother. That's what I thought, too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... Mystery, murdery, thingy, 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 thingy. <laughs> We're just starting out with laughter therapy today. Laughter therapy. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. My, um, I know how you always talked about my ex-girlfriends. Um, one of my ex-girlfriends did, like, like, learned how to run them. It was like, one oh, of that's kind of cool, actually. Stuff. Yeah. I thought so. It's like, hey, there are worse hobbies than that. Get oh, together really? and laugh. Oh, you did actually press. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't know you pressed play. Yeah. That's right. You didn't even know. Recording people without their consent. That's how mystery murdery thing he does it. Mystery. 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 <laughs> murdery. Thingy. Thingy. I will not be singing. Oh, the mysteries. Ooh ha. Ooh ha ha. I hope I'm, you, I'm I gonna hope, sing. I hope when you listen back to this, you cringe. <laughs> Ooh, that was not so good. That's what I would do. I like to oh sing. God, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. What? No. Are you criticizing me? No. I can't <laughs> help it. No. Um, yeah. Happy Independence fun. Day, everybody. If you're in the United States. If you're in the United States, happy Independence Day. If you're not, um, then happy Independence Day on your Independence Day. I just want to say... What do you want to say? Even though our country... I just, I just have to... Can, can, I, can I just say one thing? Sorry, go on. Um, are you going to make a political commentary? No. Kind of. I just saw <laughs> okay. like, a lot of these people are like... Oh, like... The, Screw the Fourth of July, like blah blah, and I was like, oh. yeah, and I was no. like, don't. <laughs> that's not at that, all the point. That sentiment is not okay, and I just want to say that because, like, for, first of all, I fucking love Fourth of July. It's up there with New Year's and Halloween, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think because it has to do with how much booze I can drink. But um, <laughs> I. 
think we need to remember that. Oh, sorry. I think we need to remember that. What do we need to remember? We are allowed, like, we have so many things that other countries don't. Like, I can walk across the street and get McDonald's. I can, like, go outside and yell, F you, Donald Trump, and not get shot in the head by some militia. You know? That is a good thing. I don't have to worry about my government bombing me. or Right. Yeah. Speaking of that, actually, did you see that there was a, a mayor in the Philippines who got shot by a sniper? That's fucked up. Yeah. Huge crowd of people. Like, no. It was, like, political rally, like, what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, we've been talking about, but, um, yeah, he was just, like, shot by a sniper. No one knows who did it. Sniper totally fucking got away. Yeah. So, hey, and that's obviously not the only fucked up thing that's going on in the Philippines right now. By no means. Because, you know, Rodrigo Duterte is, like, you know. Yeah, you know. I don't know. Just go out and, uh. Go ahead and kill the drug people, you know? It would be totally cool. I don't pay attention to the world as much as you do. But let, that's, that's just, that's just what I mean. the BBC World like, News. With sure, Adam Kazuja. Like, sure, the administration is just a shit, a shit show. But For sure. We, there's still, like, so many things that, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Because America... Not every place has, like, a fucking Walmart. <laughs> right, but the, I think it's not just our, like, consumer culture that makes us, like you know, America. It's like that idea of like, per for me, it's like that idea of like personal liberty. Like you were saying, you know, like you can do what you want to do. Like you yeah. can literally like yell, fuck you, Donald Trump, like in the halls of Congress, which someone did recently. <laughs> and like, no, yeah, one's, you told me about that. no one's going to, and if they do tackle you, if they do try to arrest you for doing that, like it's going to get shut down real fucking quick. Because it's like, uh, yeah, that's the whole fucking point of the First Amendment. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I love most about our country is like, and I think when we like fail, it's because we fail to like recognize people's liberty interests. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I'm not a libertarian, but I do tend to like think about things in a bit more of a libertarian way. I don't know what I am. Which is most people, I think. Because, like, who's sitting around thinking about politics all the time? You. Yeah, but not most people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not most people. <laughs> Which is fine for me, but I think, you know, not so much for most people. <laughs> um, I think that would be a fun segment. What? Let, let's ask Mario about a random... Let's throw Mario <laughs> a random country right. and see what he knows about it. <laughs> that could be good, yeah. I love to read, read and learn about the world. You know, it's pretty cool. I like it. This part of why, like, it excites me when I see, like, ooh, we got, like, you know, tw 20 listens from Kampala. Like, <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I wonder what, like, the street outside was like when they were listening. Or, like, I don't know, all these different... Like, we keep getting, like, these, like, one, two listens from, like, different countries, and I just think it's so cool. Tell me what's going on in London right now. In London right now? Yeah. Fucking Wimbledon. We were just watching Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the big shit. Well, of course, that and, like, Brexit and, like, will they or won't they and how is it going to happen? Iceland. Like, in Iceland? Yeah. I have no idea what's going on in Iceland. <laughs> I assume that it's, like, very scenic, um, that the people are listening to some really cool music. Let's do states. Okay. What's going on in New Mexico? Um... Uh, Lot, lots of people pr protesting the detentions, I guess. That happened oh, a few yeah. days ago. Um, 
I, I don't know. What's something going on in California? <laughs> okay, how about we do a segment where Mario's not taking a test? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like a test, that's not what I meant. Okay. So, who's going first? I think I'm going to cut some of that out. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Okay. But I'm, who are you? What's your name? Huh? What are we doing? What's your name? My I'm name's Mario. What's my name? Your name's Chol. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> That's how people spell my name. People who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It happens so often. And one time I there was, I found like a Facebook thread of like right. Chloe's and everyone was like, wow, I'm so glad our names are spelled right. And we were like, this is such bullshit. Why does this always happen? And we like, I don't know. It's not that hard. <laughs> um, was the dog from Life of Pets in that thread? No. Were they, were they part of that? No. <laughs> I have a dog name. Oh wait, what about you're the... named after a video game? <laughs> I'm named. I'm named after my dad, who <laughs> was born in 1955 or six or whatever. Junior. Yes, I am a junior. So you can call me junior. I don't care. But I don't wear overalls. You know, I'm not working on a farm. So don't think that those things. What is that concern. a reference to? I just feel like guys named Junior are like work on a farm and wear overalls. Is that not a thing? Not, not at all. Is that not how the world works? That's a personal Mario aesthetic right there. Cool. I will take it on. Uh, but, yeah, I'm but Chloe. Oh, yeah, good. good. You remembered your name, finally. You're <laughs> Marion? What is that one more time? <laughs> Marion. Oh, my God. Anyway. Anyway. Anywho. Anywho. So I want you to go first. Okay, so... Um, because I'm really excited. I'm, like, gonna buckle down. Okay. <laughs> uh, settle down. Okay. <laughs> but also get excited. So um, I wanted to do a little bit of a correction first. Uh, Benazir Bhutto was not, in fact, the first woman to head the Oxford Union, that, like, prestigious debating society at Oxford. Uh, but she was the first foreign-born woman to do that. And um, the first woman was actually Geraldine Jones. So just wanted Geraldine, to yeah. Hey, good job, good job, Miss Jones. You're doing good. Um, apparently, she was a uh, an MP for a long time, and like also a character that got parodied on like SNL and stuff. I guess. Uh, so <laughs> I don't really know about that, but it seems pretty cool. Um, okay, so I am doing my second parter of the assassination of Benazir Bhutto. So, if you recall last time, and if yeah, you have do a, a little quick. Yeah, yeah, just gonna do a little quick recap. Yeah. Um, I would probably suggest listening to our last episode if you haven't yet, um, because it is a second part. But last time we talked about like the big picture, right? Um, what was um you know, kind of the whys and the kind of, like, background and context for what happened to Benazir Bhutto. You know, especially her status as, like, a forward-looking, democratic, real, like, reform-minded uh, politician, which led to this, like, natural power dynamic with her on one side and, like, the radical and establishment forces of Pakistan on the other. So, you know, the military, the secret services, the tribal leaders. That's so weird. Yeah, it's it, it's just kind of like, you know, there's people in Pakistan who, like, want them to be, like, a, a forward-looking, democratic, you know, Islamic nation. And then there are other people who just want them to be an Islamic nation and, like, don't have democracy. So she was, like, caught in the middle of that struggle, basically. 
so yeah, that's that's kind of the background. So let's um, get to the investigation, or rather investigations, because <laughs> what you'll <laughs> learn about this one is like there's not one thing about any of this shit. <laughs> Like, everything about this... It's all skeptical. It's all multifaceted. It's all, like, is it this way or is it that way? Yes. And, like, one of the things you have to know about Pakistan, too, which is another way, like, they're kind of like America, is that they're very, like, conspiracy-minded. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So, like, people there, they, they never, you know, there's, like, a certain segment of people who are, like, never going to believe what the official account is, you know, because, like, they're, like, you know, it's a government conspiracy. And in Pakistan, it, like, very well could be a government conspiracy because there's, like, a lot of them. Um, so, as you'll remember from our last episode, it was December 27, 2007. Benazir Bhutto was killed by a shooter-slash-suicide bomber in Rawalpindi, Pakistan, after giving, like, a huge, you know, thousands and thousands of uh, people mm -hmm. strong, you know, political rally. Um, 24 people were declared dead at the scene from injuries sustained due to the blast and the shrapnel from the suicide vest. And about 91 people were injured. So it wasn't quite hundreds, I think I said that last time, but it was 91. Getty Images photographer John Moore actually had the presence of mind, and it's like crazy how often this happens with like, um, with professional, like, um, photographers, where he actually took images, like, while the shooting was happening. Oh, that's so And, like, cool. right after the bombing, like, his first instinct wasn't, and this is why, like, these kind of, like, photographers and, like, journalists and reporters are, like, fucking heroes. Like, these people, you know, like, uh, 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 Doctors Without Borders, like, the military, mm -hmm. like, first responders, like, these people are in that group of people. Because, you know, what John Moore did wasn't just, he wasn't just, like, a craven person like wanting to like capture the gore like no he provided us with a reliable first hand first hand real account of like yeah. what happened in the yeah. moment which we would not have otherwise so like yeah thank you fucking john moore like my god um so what his images show is uh benazir Bhutto falling back into the vehicle after the second shot so if you recall uh Bilal, the shooter shot three um, uh, took three shots in really quick succession. Boom, boom, boom. Right at the car. Right right at Benazir. And um, what it looks like in the images and also in an amateur video clip, which was released but then rescinded by the Times of India, is uh, showing uh, Benazir Bhutto's dupata, the like traditional head covering that she wore, flicking up after the second shot and then her falling back. So that gives us some pretty strong evidence that she was, in fact, shot, right? Which, again... Wasn't the debate between whether the bomb killed her or that she was shot? Exactly. Never really been resolved whether she died from a head wound due to her hitting her head after the blast or if she was shot and then also hit her head or whatever. So while she was being taken to Royal Pindy General while the doctors were, you know, trying to revive her and then do at least a, a little bit of an investigation into what killed her, the police were already starting to bungle the investigation, like, from the very moment after it happened. And again, was it bungling or was it a cover-up? That's one that's of these, the like... Question. That's the question. That's the mystery. Ooh, that's what we're doing here. Mysteries. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is part of a pattern of, again, perhaps intentional 
What is that? Oh my god, what was that sound? That's not the first time I heard that. That's a mystery. I think we might have a, uh, what do you call it, poltergeist in here. So, if y'all hear a poltergeist, just know it's fine. It's okay. It was like digital. <laughs> it was, it's a digital poltergeist. Ooh, it's a ghost in the machine. I'll, just, I'll cut out this part. No, you should keep it. It's funny. <laughs> no, that's not interesting. I'll keep a little bit at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> so, as we're, anyway. as we're investigating our own uh, weird, weird sound here in the studio, we're in the, the podcasting uh, office right now. Yeah, so. we're in the office. We're not in the den. We're not in the den. You can probably tell what the audio is different. Or what did you call it? The podcasting the lair. lair. Yes. <laughs> we're not in the lair. But anyway. So to, to get back to what I'm actually talking about, so um, there, there's a pattern of this kind of behavior, right? Over the next like 10 plus years, like to right now, in terms of like perhaps intentional errors by the investigators into, into the killing. And this may indicate that there was never really any serious, you know, desire on the part of the uh, investigators to like really establish who did this beyond like the low level actors who actually like carried out the attack and did like the immediate planning and stuff like that. Wow. And I, the, it's sorry, it's weird that you use the word actors. Oh, because I identify <laughs> as an actor, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. right. But I mean, you're you're not wrong. Yeah, definitely. So the BBC actually obtained uh, secret documents that seemed to corroborate the kind of cover-up theory. Um, they didn't get super specific into like what that was in the articles that I was reading, but apparently that's like, in terms of what the BBC has looked into, seems like is definitely what was going on, according to them, allegedly. So the first indication that, you know, it was like being bungled or covered up was that the crime scene was not at all cleared, right? So usually when you have like an attack of this nature, the first thing you do is get everyone away from the scene, Yeah. right? Clear the scene, set up a cordon, you know, post guards so that no one can get in and, like, trample the evidence or take something away or whatever, right? That was not done. So the crowd is just milling about the scene. There's just mass chaos. The police weren't really trying to, you know, get anyone away or, like, control the crowd. And moreover, the scene was actually power-washed within, like, an hour or two of the attack occurring, which obviously is not great for the investigation. Now, why this was done is, like, a whole fucking mystery unto itself. This is, like, a mystery within a mystery, wrapped inside a conundrum in a very odd-looking box. That sounds delicious. <laughs> is there chocolate inside? No. It's actually the hosing down of a crime scene. Or you don't know what's inside because it's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> is, is the cat dead? Is the cat alive? Who knows? So the police say that this was done as like a crowd control measure, but that is just Which like doesn't make sense. It does not make any sense. So they claimed that they need to get needed to get rid of the blood, uh, which obviously there was blood everywhere um, because of the distraught bystanders who you know, were like, uh, w whatever, like, they couldn't handle it, they were, like, rubbing blood on themselves, like, this is what they said. Now, apparently, there was one person who was doing some stuff like that, but it was one person. There was one guy, or one woman, or whatever, who was just hysterical, just, like, completely d detached. Oh my but God. it wasn't like that was everyone. That's so sad. So, what, what they were saying was not really credible. 
And, you know, again, there was no serious attempt to move the crowd away or establish that perimeter around the scene. And this is not normal police practice in Pakistan. So just if you're thinking, like, oh, the Pakistani police is just, like, incompetent and they're, like, keystone cops, no, that's not the case. There are many very competent police, uh, women and men, in uh, Pakistan that, like, do the right thing, do their jobs correctly. But this sort of thing has happened before. When it has happened, there's always accusations of military interference. Mm. Never proven, allegedly, right? But those things tend to go together. And when, uh, so th there was an investigation done, right, into why the scene was hosed down. There was actually multiple investigations done just into this aspect of the investigation. One of them was done by the Punjab Provisional Committee, which essentially cleared the authorities. Now, they only met for two days. They didn't really do anything. They just essentially said, like, yeah, what they said was the case. Yeah, they needed to do it because of crowd control. Um, they, they shouldn't have done it, but it was more just, like, incompetence. That's not really credible. The UN investigators, uh, led by Hector Munoz, found that um, there was evidence that the military intelligence chief, Major General Nadim Ijaz Ahmed, uh, had ordered the hosing down. So that he had called in to the police on the scene and said, like, hey hose down the scene, allegedly, according to the UN investigation. The Rawalpindi um, city police officer, uh, Saud Aziz, uh, coordinated the hosing on the ground, um, but he, he really wouldn't have done that if he hadn't gotten orders from above. Like, he just didn't really have, like, the authority to order something like that. So, hmm. you know, he wasn't acting on his own. Um, source, uh, another source claims that Aziz uh, told them that he had received a call from army headquarters ordering the action. So that's an anonymous source, but that's like according to a source. Military interference. Right, so again, military interference. It kind of seems like a chain of command. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is not at all clear in Pakistan. That's kind of the other thing, is the police never know really to whom they're beholden, or like who those people are beholden to, and like is the ISI involved, and stuff like that. But, um, this whole, you know, thing about the ordering of the hosing down was reportedly, according to several sources, an open secret amongst the police. So, like, they pretty much knew that that was what happened, but, you know, it was kind of like they were supposed to keep it secret. So because of this, there was only 23 pieces of evidence recovered at the scene, mostly body parts. Oh. Yeah, I know. Um, but the, the, that's just a ridiculously low number for this type of crime scene. Yeah, like, that, that's like, just crazy. You said there's usually, like, hundreds. Thousands. Oh, thousands. Yeah. Usually, in a, in a normal investigation, we would expect to see thousands of pieces of evidence from, you know, because you got to think, there's pieces of shrapnel, there's pieces of the vest, there's pieces of the bomber, um, whom, you know, obviously would have gotten, you know, pretty well blown apart. And then the car. The car is like, yeah, like, these things add up quickly. But yeah. 23. I mean, that's, that is just, like, ridiculous. So they were, though, able to identify the shooter slash suicide bomber as 15 and a half year old <gasps> Bilal. Yeah, 15 and a half years old. Not unusual for suicide bombers. So, yeah. So when, when you're thinking about, you know, who did this and, like, the perpetrator... Like, this kid was a murderer, right? I mean, he was a fanatic. But he was also 
the victim of the people who indoctrinated him. Highly And the, the society that allowed this to occur, right? They probably did shit like, well, like, protect your family and stuff. Oh, yeah. No, and, and you know, I was reading about this, actually. Um, so they, they, they get them young because, obviously, they're more impressionable, yeah. right? A 15-year-old is not, just because of brain chemistry, able to have the same cognitive you know, um, wherewithal as an 18-year-old or a 25-year-old, whatever. So what they also do, though, is they isolate them from the other recruits. Like, the other recruits who are not going to be suicide bombers cannot even talk to the ones who are suicide bombers. They tell them that you're special, like, you're set apart, right? You're better than them. They're given very special treatment. They're given nice beds to sleep on. They're given good food. You know, all this. They don't have to do the work that the other guys have to do. Uh, and they're just given constant one-on-one indoctrination. So, you know, just there with one other guy, you know, just kind of like giving him, you know, feeding him these things. And this is how cults work, right? You isolate and you indoctrinate. And you, you say something and then they say it. And you do something and then they do it. And you get into that pattern where once you get to the big reveal, right? Once you get to the, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, blow yourself up. flavor aid. Flavor-Aid, excuse me. Sorry, <laughs> always want to be accurate. Flavor-Aid. Um, we're talking about Jonestown, of course. Um, you know, that, that that person will do it because they've done all these other things. So they're just in that pattern where they'll do whatever you fucking say. Literally. Okay. So anyway, um, what, you know, is more contested, you know, than just knowing that person who, you know, did it is how many people were involved in the killing, like on that day. So Budo's allies believe that there, uh, that she was shot, which again is always in contention, and that there were multiple attackers at the scene. Whereas the official account from the Pakistani authorities was that she died when her head hit the escape latch, and that it was a very small number of people, and was like a very kind of roughly thrown together kind of operation. Um, the video evidence does seem to suggest that she was, that Benazir Bhutto was hit by that second shot. The UN report, however, does seem to support the official account that she was not shot. So I was never really able to resolve whether she was or not. I, I really don't know. That's like still like a big mystery in all of this. Officials um, do paint the scene, uh, the incident rather, as, you know, kind of it, an inevitable consequence of the fact that Benazir Bhutto didn't take proper precautions, that she was kind of, like, putting herself out there. That's kind of how they of painted course. it, of course. A, some light victim blaming, of course. And that it was, like, a crudely planned attack by, you know, so-called Islamists. Um, and particularly militants aligned with the Taliban leader, oh Baitullah God. Masood. There's so many, like, different... Points of action going on here. I know, and I that's know. exactly why the investigation itself is so like. It's very complex, it, very very complex. But if I could just like boil it down, the authorities blame it on Masood and the Taliban, um, and possibly Al Qaeda, uh, and the UN and Benazir Bhutto's um, allies blame it mostly on the lack of security that was provided by the Pakistani state. So just kind of keep that in mind through all of this. Those are the two general, like, ideas of what happened here and and who did it and why. So as we're going through this and it gets a little complex, just, like, keep keep that in mind. Those are kind of the two uh, versions of the story. 
So again, Benazir Bhutto's supporters tend to portray the incident as being more complex and as possibly involving the Pakistani authorities themselves, which obviously the Pakistani authorities don't agree with, right? Um, and again, Pakistani people in, in general apparently uh, tend to be pretty conspiratorial. Yeah, so which that, we talked about. Which we definitely talked about. So um, there was also, again, no autopsy done, no real credible medical analysis of Budo's injuries or her cause of death. So that's all still super unclear. And because of the bungling and or suppression of what was going on by the authorities, the investigation just really kind of languished. The local police um, were, you know, reportedly, a lot of times when these kind of things happen, are not totally sure if they should investigate it because they don't know if the authorities are involved or not, right? But they might Wait, be. Wait, what? So when, when these, and these attacks happen a lot, like at that time especially, there were, I don't know, like yeah, 40 yeah. or something in that year, um, the local police are never really sure if, you know, the ISI or the military intelligence or whoever might ha have been involved or, you know, kind of be supporting it. So the local police don't really investigate these kind of things just kind of as their general practice, right? They tend to cover up first, ask questions later. Mm. And that's where a lot of these investigations tend to kind of languish. So um, Pervez Musharraf, though, the president at the time, um, was forced kind of by popular outcry to bring in Scotland Yard oh, to, to kind of bolster the investigation, right? to improve it, but also to legitimize the investigation. Because he know, you know, he basically knew that what they were doing was just not seen as legitimate either in foreign places or within Pakistan. Uh, but the big caveat there is that Scotland Yard was only told that they could investigate the cause and the circumstances of Miss Bhutto's death. Not, not who done it. Right. So they were like specifically not looking into who done it. And similarly, the UN investigation also was specifically not looking into who did it. Why? Because what? what <laughs> sorry, it it just like oh my god, it's just like gets into all these other things. But the 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 main reason is because only Pakistani authorities have the power to try and convict people in Pakistan. The UN can't do it. Scotland Yard can't do it. Oh, okay. So if, if, oh, okay. if they were to say, like, okay, these people did it, okay, where do we go from there, right? Yeah, out of jurisdiction. It's out of jurisdiction. The most they're going to do is say, like, hey, Pakistan, you should prosecute these people. Yeah. And that would just be kind of, like, awkward and not workable. So they just left it. Whatever. They didn't do it. But Scotland Yard's eventual report that they did release, which was only released in an executive summary form... No one's ever seen the full what? report. Yeah, because that's still classified. Does uh, But what they did release does generally back up the government story. But it did not address the cell phone videos that were initially re released by the Times of yeah, India. Yeah, you'd think that would be the most important evidence, the yeah. most reliable. They just didn't get into that at all. So their investigation, the Scotland Yard investigation, was not seen as credible domestically. There were also um, investigations and a report which was done by the joint investigation teams, or the so-called JITs, which are teams of investigators, Pakistani investigators, from different agencies in different areas. So we do the same thing in the United States, the Joint Task Force, where you have you know, the FBI, the yeah. state police, etc. 
Um, and, and these are people, like I said before, you know, who are really hardworking, you know, who are really wonderful, awesome, like investigative authorities, like trying to get to the bottom of what happened and like actually carry out justice. Like, I don't want people to leave this thinking that like there is no justice in Pakistan. Like there are people trying to get justice and like, it, it's just harder there. And incredibly complicated. And very super fucking complicated. And the the GITs did actually try to identify who done it. So like these are people who who actually did get into that. Um, and what it seems like from their that, that their investigation was kind of more competent and more trustworthy domestically. But their report was only about forty pages, in, including annexes, not, not very long. So it wasn't too comprehensive. And they mostly relied on confessions and phone intercepts, like tapping the phones, to build up their case. So they found a suspect who claimed to have been involved with another attempt to assassinate Benazir Bhutto. So like I said, there were many, many, many. Um, that was a 15-year-old named Aitzaz Shah. So that break, when they um, interrogated Shah and got information from him, led them to the identification of Bilal. Because Aitzaz Shah and Bilal had at one time been at the same madrasa, which oh. is like the Islamic, you know, uh, schools there. So um, that was like their big break that led them to at least identify like the, the proximate like killer, right? Uh, and Bilal himself was identified by DNA analysis, which was carried out in Britain. Okay. Right. Okay. So now we're finally going to get to the suspects. Okay. So this is the best idea that I could find of who done it. So who done it? Who done it? Um, and again, like everything else in this fucking story, there's like a ton of them. So you know, settle in. So of course, first we've got you know Bilal, aka Saeed, uh, who was the actual killer allegedly. Yeah, we already talked about him. Fifteen and a half from South Waziristan. We already talked about him. So uh, another person tied to Bilal was um, named Husnain Gull. He was involved in an earlier attempt to assassinate Benazir Bhutto in Peshawar, um, I think a, a, like several months earlier than that, but that one was thwarted by really tight security. So when the actual assassination occurred, Gull was apparently running reconnaissance. So he went there the, like two days and the day before the attack happened to like scope it out, Make sure they knew exactly where everything was. That's sketchy. Yeah. And Gull also provides a credible link to Baitullah Masood because Gull was um, connected to the Taliban. So he's a suspect? Gull is a suspect involved in doing reconnaissance. No, Masood. Right. Baitullah Masood is kind of the main suspect from the Pakistani authorities' perspective. And Baitullah Masood. He's dead now. He was killed in a, a drone attack in 2009, an American drone attack. But he was, at the time, uh, in 2007, the leader of the Pakistani Taliban. And he was allegedly kind of the brains behind the operation, so to speak. Um, and also the financier of the operation, according to Pakistani authorities. So if you're looking for a big picture, like, who actually, like, planned and, like, meant this to happen and everything... This is who the Pakistani authorities say is responsible. Soon after Budo's assassinations, the authorities produced what they claimed was a conversation between Baitullah Masood and another member of the Taliban. And in it, 
what appears to be Masood's voice can be heard telling the other man about someone named Bilal killing a certain she, which is presumed to be Benazir Bhutto. Oh my god. Now, they never mention the time or the date. They never mention Benazir Bhutto by name. But it's still... It's highly, highly suggestive. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Some people, though, claim that this is simply part of the government conspiracy, right? That, like, they created this, or it was taken from a different time. So it's not... It's not, like, 100%, right? This isn't, like, beyond a reasonable doubt, right? But um, there, there is definitely some suggestion that what the government was saying happened, you know, may actually have been the case. So some more sort of conspiracy-minded people uh, point the finger toward Asif Ali Zardari, who was, of course, the widower of Benazir Bhutto, um, Mr. 10%. And you can listen back to the last episode for that explanation. Um Zardari did spend many years in prison as essentially a political prisoner while Bhutto was in exile, and he did lead the movement that forced Musharraf from power after the assassination. So those things, to me, tend to, like, um, move us away from him being involved, because it it seems like he was pretty committed to Bhutto. Yeah. Like, he would have flipped on her earlier if he, like, had some nefarious intent, right? But he is definitely the favorite amongst, like... Pakistani conspiracy theorists. But the only evidence, and I'm doing air quotes right now, evidence <laughs> mm, against Zardari is that he supposedly benefited from Benazir Bhutto's death. And maybe there's a little bit of truth to that. I mean, he, he became the president. Yeah. You know, he um, certainly wasn't under the thumb of whom what everyone said was his, you know, obviously more capable and like wife. But It's just not really credible. Like, nothing ever really was seriously even accused against him. So Benazir Bhutto herself, though, did name several possible suspects should she be assassinated, because, again, she was pretty much aware that this was going to happen. In her um, posthumously published book called Reconciliation. So one of those was, one of those suspects she named was Kari Saifullah Akhtar, who was accused of Benazir Bhutto being involved in an attempt on her life in October of 2007, right? Just two months before she was actually assassinated. So these are the people that she said you should look into. If I die, you should look into these people. Exactly. So that attack in October of 2007 was actually one of the deadliest terrorist attacks ever in Pakistan. Over 140 people were killed. Oh my god. Yeah, and it was it was another suicide bombing. Um, but Benazir Bhutto herself happened to have gone down into her um, reinforced vehicle after having stood up for like eight hours straight waving at people. So she was fine. Like, she walked away from the scene totally fine. Um, the other suspect that she named was uh, Abdul Rahman Sindhi, who was another uh, alleged associate of Akhtar, who was accused by Bhutto of helping to organize that Kashmir attack. Um, so again, she said, you know, look at those guys. And um, another suspect that just kind of people point to is Khalid Shahin Shah, who was the head of Bhutto's security at the time that she was assassinated. And he's actually, so like, super weird, seen on video on the platform with Benzir Bhutto during her last speech running his hand across his neck, which is, like, a universal symbol for, like, you're going to die. Oh, my god! And, like, looking up at Benazir Bhutto. Like, super 
fucking creepy. Yeah, and there's, like, video of this. And he apparently was, you can kind of see him, like, sort of, like, leaning out of the way <gasps> from the direction that the suicide bomber eventually comes from. So, yeah. That's it's like pretty suspicious. It's, like, pretty suspicious. Pretty damning. Yeah. But his involvement was, like, never really conclusively proven one way or the other. So the main suspect from the perspective of the uh, Bhutto allies is Perez Musharraf, the president at the time that, you know, Bhutto was assassinated and who actually overthrew Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif in 1999 to become president. He had allowed Bhutto to return to Pakistan um, by um, pressing for the... Uh, the uh, passage of a law that would drop all domestic corruption charges against Benazir Bhutto, right? And we get into we got into that in the last episode. And the arrangement was uh, that she would come back, but what Musharraf said was, okay, you can come back, but only after January 2008, because that's when the elections were going to happen, right? He didn't want her to be oh, able to stand in the elections. Run. Okay. Yeah. She, of course wanted to come back before that so that she could become prime minister again, which almost certainly she would have. So there was this, like, misunderstanding, basically, between them. And she ended up, of course, coming back before the elections. And this may have been part of the motive, if Musharraf were involved, for why he did it. There's also reportedly a call that happened, although Musharraf denies that this happened, between Bhutto and Musharraf before she came back, wherein he says to her that um, he would only provide her security based on their relationship. So kind of a, a sort of a um, kind of a, a subtle, you know, threat to her. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll provide you with security, but the level of security kind of depends on how much you're going to cooperate with me. Mm. Like, if you're my friend, I'll keep you safe. If you're so not my friend, I won't. kind of like at the top. Very much so, yeah, and, and again, would have had the power to, you know, order all of these kind of things and the cover-up, if that is what happened. And he was accused, especially in the UN report, of not providing adequate security for Benazir Bhutto, like, from the moment she arrived back in Pakistan. And that's part of what led to, you know, that earlier attack and also the attack that eventually did kill her. Now, Musharraf was actually forced into exile. He's currently in Dubai. After... In, in March 2016. Uh, uh, so long why? after. Well, for a long time, there was, you know, because he's been a suspect in this for a long time, right? Ever since yeah. uh, Zardari came into power. But they couldn't really ever prove anything. So he was actually under an order not to travel up oh. until 2016. Okay. And then they allowed him to travel because he, he claimed that he needed a certain surgery that was not a, um, that was not available in Pakistan. So he went to Dubai, and he just stayed there. And he's still there. Like, he says he wants to come back to Pakistan and contest the, the uh, accusations against him, but he hasn't gone back yet. And there are uh, accusations of treason and also murder against him linked to Bhutto's assassination, and, and also other things. So, in the end, there were only two people who have ever been convicted in relation to Benazir Bhutto's murder. After all that shit... After all the investigations, all the reports, everything that happened, two people have ever actually been held to account for this. And those were... That's messed up. I know. 
and, and this is like the lowest fucking level people you could possibly get. It's the two police officers who were actually involved in hosing down the crime scene. So we've like gone full circle all the way back to the hosing down, like never actually went away. <laughs> um, and that's Karam Shazad and Sal Aziz, who we mentioned before. And they were actually not even convicted until late 2017. So like basically six months ago. And That's it, very weird. Exactly. It took like all that time. I know. Yeah, we're I'm, I've you gone have, uh, like on and on and on. So yeah, I'm I'm not really gonna do like the weird coincidences and stuff because wait, I I need to wrap up. I went on like way too long. <laughs> okay, so that's the story of you know Ben Sirbudo's uh, assassination. Uh, many different whys, many different hows, lots of mystery, um, and we're left with the mystery. So. Yeah, but I think I think it was an interesting one. It was bizarre. Yeah, and it was really scary. Yes, and it's weird how a network of people can all be in agreement on something like this. True, which kind of speaks to and then to, to yours to even yeah. pull it off. Right. Yeah, the fact that they were able to do this and basically get away with it is pretty scary, you know? Um, I mean, I don't live in Pakistan, but fucking lots of people do. It's like the fifth most populous country in the world. And it just, like, kind of breaks my heart that, like, those people can't be sure that this kind of shit's not going to continue to happen. Because, like, their government won't actually do the work to, like, figure out who fucking did these things... So they can be held to account so it won't fucking happen anymore. Remember what I said at the beginning? Oh, let me do my sources. Oh. Wait, what did you say at the beginning? Remember what I said at the beginning of the episode? What? Count your blessings. Count your blessings. America. That's true. That's true. You know? Right. Or any number of countries where it's not, like, that Ooh, you crazy. Have, you have a lot. It, it kind of looks like... I did do a lot. I mean, I, I think I did a lot of research for this one. Just say, like, the names. Yeah, I'm not going to say all this stuff. So my main, main sources were... Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's that was okay. gross. <laughs> um, Chloe was just doing a ratchet, so... Okay, I'm done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so my, my main two sources were um, the BBC podcast series, uh, The Assassination, by Owen Bennett-Jones. And, like, Owen Bennett-Jones is, like, a fucking super source on this. He, he like, knew Benazir Bhutto. was, like, you know, he wrote, like, many articles about her. Like, if you're looking for information about this... Just search, like, Owen Bennett-Jones, Benazir Bhutto, and you'll find, like, tons of shit. Uh, way more than I got into, even. So, also an audiobook that I mentioned last time called Getting Away with Murder, which was by Hector Munoz, uh, the guy who ran the UN investigation. And then, of course, Wikipedia. Many, many Wikipedia articles, but including Assassination yeah. of Benazir Bhutto, the Benazir Bhutto one, the Zulfikar Ali Bhutto one, but many, many others. Um, also a story by Sukundar Kramani and Salim Masood, from BBC News Asia from 2018, another one uh, on uh, the Economic Times, uh, another story from the Telegraph, a story from Agence France Press, um, other BBC News stories like a, a Hindustani Times story. Yeah. Um, just like there's there's so much information out there. Like if you want to dig more into this assassination, like wow, there's just like way more to learn. So okay, <laughs> now I'm done. <laughs> Okay, so I 
So last time I did encephalitis lethargica and just a medical mystery. People basically turning in statues. So I decided since you were going to do a two-parter, I would follow up and do another medical mystery. Right. And at first, I was going to like just name some that are that I found that I thought were weird. But then I saw that a lot of them were based on mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about mass hysteria. So in sociology and psychology, mass hysteria, which is all, it's like it can be many different things based on what is the possible trigger. Mm-hmm. So collective hysteria, group hysteria, collective obsessional behavior. This is the um, official definition. is a phenomenon that, that trans- transmits collective illusions of threats, whether real or imaginary, through a population in society as a result of rumors and fear. Hmm. So the classic examples are the Salem Witch Trials and the Dancing Plague of 1518. Right. Um, Mass psychogenic illness or epidemic hysteria, which are the ones that are used in medicine, and that one refers to physical ailments. And a lot of the popular mass hysteria um, events had similar symptoms Mm -hmm. that were all happening. It was a lot of a lot of fainting, a lot of vomiting, Mm. uncontrollable movements, stuff like that. Right. So. I looked, okay, I really looked into what causes it and what what the hell is going on here. <laughs> yeah, because it's like super fucking weird. Why are these 400 people dancing all of a sudden? Right. So I learned that mass hysteria, it relies on the power of suggestion. So it can come from any type of... Um, like heightened emotion. Heightened, heightened emotion. Yeah. So fear, sadness, anxiety, stress. Um, and sometimes trying to solve that can make it worse because it heightens the fear mm. and confirms that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, also in, in heightened senses, senses of anxiety, it's possible that people misinterpret stuff that's really normal, like physical, right. normal sensations, like heavy breathing and stuff. But yeah, because then, of the power of suggestion right. The environment that they're in, their mind just like blows it out of proportion. What's really interesting about mass hysteria is that these are very um, real symptoms that these people are right. feeling, right? And it and it makes it worse sometimes because people are like, "No, this is you. This is psychosemantic. Like this is not real." And well, that can make things worse because to them, it's very real. They actually feel it because it. Like, psychos- like, that whole notion that psychosomatic equals not real, sort of, it's a misapprehension, right? Because psychosomatic means it is real. Like, that's the whole point, right? Is that it's crossing that line from psycho to somatic. Like, that it's physical in the body. It's like a real induced symptom that comes from a psychological phenomenon. But if it weren't real, it would just be psychological. It wouldn't be psychosomatic. Or psychosomatic, right? Um. Do that make any sense? I feel like that didn't make sense. Um, not really. Because... It just kind of, like, took down my whole claim. Sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was trying to support what you were saying. That, that it is it that, is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I was yeah, trying yeah. to say. But... The, I, the, the symptoms are actually... 
actually present. They just may not have come from the source that, like, people expect. Yes. Yes. And that telling somebody that makes things worse. Right. Exactly. So mass hysteria instances have a lot of similar dynamics and similar occurrences, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Um, It often affects children and teenagers, and it's usually girls rather than boys. Mm. Um, And the symptoms are only, quote-unquote, contagious when new victims see that other people are falling ill, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, the popular girl is, like, freaking out. What is she doing? Oh, my God, that's kind of freaky. Oh, I'm so scared. And it just, like, escalates from there. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of dumb, but, like, that's, like, no, the, pro- the the initial process. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to really explain when it's something that naturally yeah. happens. Yeah. So, yeah, so, like, group dynamics, that whole idea of conformity. And emotions can spread quickly, especially heightened ones. Mm-hmm. So the essential, the essential ingredients for mass hysteria instances to happen are groups under psychological and physical stress, like being hungry or tired or both. So I read this article by a psychiatrist named Gary Small, and he. Do you, th- do you think he's like really tiny, or do you think he's like six eight? And people, like, make jokes about it. Like you? Yeah. I don't know. Good question. Um, But he actually studies mass hysterias. Uh Um, And even through his... um, Research? Yeah, through his research, he still has some unanswered questions, like, why don't they happen more often if this is the case? And what is the ultimate trigger? Right. What is the ultimate trigger? What makes that happen? Where does it start specifically and why? Which is always so hard to say with these kind of, like, emergent phenomena, you know, when it's, like, not a one-to-one, like, cause and effect, but it's, like, many causes that eventually lead to an effect. It's like, like consciousness, right? It's like an emergent property, but you can't say like, oh, this is like the trigger of consciousness. It's just like something that happens when all the right elements are present. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of exactly everything you said. I can't even, oh my God. Ow. Just say ditto. It's fine. Ditto. Same. Yeah. Awesome. Um, retweet. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like that. (laughs) Okay. Okay, go on. So I, there are many, many more mass hysteria instances than I ever thought were possible. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about every single one. So <laughs> and here ramble we go. on for 45 minutes kidding. like me. <laughs> okay. No, so I picked my favorites, the ones that I thought. I think there's five. Cool. Um, so the most po- I'll start with the most popular ones, such as the... Dancing Plague of 1518. Woo! Dancing Plague of 1518. I love it. There were actually lots of, lots of dancing plagues, but it didn't affect as many people. Dancing plagues, gotta have those dancing plagues. This is pretty dark, actually. It's too dark, <laughs> my song's too light, it's not funny. Oh my god, all the windows cracked. <laughs> Um, Okay, so it happened in Strasbourg, Alsace, which was in the Holy Roman Empire, which is France. It was in France today. (laughs) What what is now France, right? What is now France, yes. So it started in 
July when a woman named Frau Trefea started dancing randomly in the street. Oh, so I like her. She it lasted for a week before more people started to join in. That's a long time. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Um, in the end, it ended up affecting four hundred people within a month, and most of them were female. So people died from heart attacks, from strokes, straight up exhaustion. What the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck is right? And it ended in September's when the dance for, dancers were whisked away to a mountaintop shrine to pray for absolution. I mean, if that's not sinful, I don't know what the fuck is. <laughs> like, no. Come on. So the possible cause, and I have a possible cause, not for all of them, but for some of them, mm-hmm. um, of like the emotion and what could be the trigger and why. And mm-hmm. for this one, um, during this time, there were difficulties with the increasing diseases and famine. Mm-hmm. So there was not a lot of food to go around and people were getting sick. Death rates were high. So it's right. that kind of fear and stress and anxiety that... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Manifested itself into some weird plague. That No, that, that totally makes sense. So next, the Salem Witch Trials, which... This could be a whole episode in and of itself. Of I wanted to do an episode about it. It definitely could. Maybe I will, but yes. Yeah, we'll just get into it a little bit. So, the Salem Witch Trials occurred in Massachusetts between January 1692 and May of 1693. So, out of, from that um, uh, little over a year, more than 200 people were accused of witchcraft and 20 of them were executed. It's crazy. Um, More than one a month. Yeah, it's messed up. Wow. So, the reasoning behind it was that the Christians believed that the devil could give certain people powers to harm others if they don't believe in him, if they don't serve him, and in return, he gets their loyalty. This is why Henry Zabrowski always says, Hail Satan. Yes. Yeah, it's very prudent. Um... Although the number of witch, of killed witches is unknown, is likely to be the tens of th- thousands. Oh, no. You know what? No, I skipped something. This was a big thing in Europe. Right. In the 1300s to the 1600s. Right. And during that time, although we don't know how many witches were killed, it's in the tens of thousands. And it should be pointed out that this is also something that continues to happen in certain parts of the world, especially in certain African countries. So... You know, yeah, it's, like, something that happened way in the past, but also something that, like, you know, is still going on today, which is, like, pretty fucking crazy. (laughs) Um, so it started with a man named Reverend Paris's daughter. That's who I played, Reverend Paris. Oh, you did? Yeah. That was my first play, actually. He was, um... The Crucible, I should say. Um, he was... I forgot what I was going to say. Okay. Um, (laughs) So his daughter, Elizabeth, who was nine, Mm -hmm. um, and their niece, Abigail Williams, started, who was 11, started having these weird symptoms. They screamed through things. They made weird sounds, and they contorted themselves into strange positions, like exorcist style and shit. I'm guessing. I don't really know. I wasn't there. You weren't there? No, actually. I thought you were reporting from the scene. Not really. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
And the doctor, of course, because this is the 16th or 17th fucking century, mm-hmm. the doctor blamed the supernatural. Of course. So that he could start even more shit. Um, and Putnam, 11, another little girl, also experienced the same symptoms around the same time that the other two girls did. Mm-hmm. So they were given a straight talking to, um, and they blamed three women. They blamed Tatuba, the Paris's Caribbean slave, Sarah Good, a homeless beggar, and Sarah Osborne, an elderly, impoverished woman. So Tatuba, the Tituba. Tituba. Why did That's you say a, that the first time? Ah, I thought I'd let it go, but Tatuba. A tuba? A tuba did Tituba. What? Can you say it again? Tituba? Tituba. I, I think. That sounds better than Tituba. Yeah, it, it definitely does. So she, the, uh, <laughs> Tituba, confess. <laughs> confess. I'll laugh every time you fucking say it now. I okay, won't say go it. on. Okay, confess, saying the devil came to her and wanted her to serve him. And that she was like, oh, I had to sign this little black, he asked me to sign a little black book, so I did. <laughs> he said he'd call me, and then, like, he never did. So after this oh. initial accusations, even more started to follow. People mm. began blaming others. It was this new chain. Right, and because that's fucking humans for you. Yeah, because people were blaming others, mm-hmm. people were having quote-unquote symptoms. Um, so in the end, 19 people were hanged, and one 71-year-old man was crushed. Oh, I remember that. Uh, was pressed by heavy stones to death. That's such a fucking crazy way to die. You remember it? You said you weren't there. <laughs> no, I was there. You weren't there. <laughs> I should be doing this story. That makes sense. No, I remember it from the play that happens in The Crucible. Yeah. And not even counting <laughs> the several people who died in jail. Right, right. Um, trials were ruled. Un- so they had all these... Trials. I could go right. into the trials as much as possible. Yeah. Much as I, there, was, there were many. It was odd. They brought in... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the trials were ruled unlawful in 1702, and in 1711, the families were given reparations. Oh, they I didn't know that. Like 600... I don't, I don't remember. Whatever, yeah. Um, Pounds, I'd imagine. That's a lot of money, actually. I think it was euros. They didn't have euros at that time. So that was pounds. It would have been pound. I don't know what symbol it was. Actually, Britain still used the pound all the way through. The, we're getting off on a tangent here. <laughs> so, Massachusetts <laughs> itself didn't formally apologize until 1957. That's so funny. I wonder if that was spurred by the Crucible, because didn't it come out like a little bit before that? Possibly. Huh. Interesting. So, possible explanations for the witch trials is... Um, Ergot. Er, ergo. Ergo. Isn't it ergo? I thought it was ergot. How oh. do you? Maybe you can say it either way. Anyway, go on. What are you saying? So on. it's a fungus found in rye bread, and it was believed that that was contaminating the the city. You know, everybody's eating bread. You know, it's bread. Um, it leads to muscle spasms, vomiting, hallucinations, and delusions. The other um, more psychological aspect. It, as a possible explanation, is that there were refugees from the King William's War in 1689, and basically they ravaged a lot of people's villages Hmm. um, further up north. So they were sent to 
the county of Essex, Essex, specifically Salem Village, and it was called Salem much, much later. Um, and because there were so much more people, it created a strain on their resources. Mm. It increased rivalries between families because there was like a stigma between those who still relied on agriculture and the others who worked on the port by the lake. Oh, that makes sense. It was that kind of, you know, yeah. status rivalry. Hey, so there was hey, a- hey, port person. Hey, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go work on your fucking farm, man? Hey, boat boy. <laughs> Hey, boat boy. Hey, why don't you go back to your hoe, douche? That reminds me of... Oh, that was good. (laughs) Thank you. We would have done well in this battle. That reminds me of a play I read in high school. Oh, yeah? Uh, Not in high school. In freshman year. I don't remember what it's called. Good story. But he... Write a book about it. It was like this guy... (laughs) Never mind. Okay. (laughs) It was this guy... Like, you remember, like, the guy with, like, the hair? You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly who I mean. But he was racist, and he died in the end. Anyway. Oh, uh, good, I guess. Uh, view from <laughs> the, the Bridge. What the fuck are we even talking about? view from the bridge. The view from... I've not heard of that. Got it. Cool. Anyway. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Refugees creating uh, stress, more rivalries. Yeah. Anxiety. What the fuck's going on? Everybody's scared. Who oh, my God. Guys? A witch. <laughs> Basically. She's a witch. Okay, um, and my second, no, I have a couple more. Hang okay. in, hang in, because one <laughs> of them is pretty short, but I want only wanted to mention it because it's like these staples, whatever. Cool. So this one I just liked, uh-huh. the Tanganyika laughter epidemic, which is <laughs> actually Tanzania now, I think. Oh, okay. Um, so January, January 30th, 1962, at a boarding school in Kashasha, Tanzania, Spontaneous, uncontrollable laughter <laughs> began to, yep, just like that. <laughs> started, started with. Stop. <laughs> oh my gosh. Started with three girls, then spread to 95 of the 159 pupils. <laughs> age 12 to 18. <laughs> That's not laughing. Yeah, you're right. I'm just making weird sounds. We love to laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Oh that was so loud. Sorry. <laughs> I love that part in Mary Poppins, so. though. Um, symptoms lasted from a few hours to 16 days. Shit. Uh, the school was forced to close down in March, so like two months later. What? Um, and after that, it spread to a village called Nishamba because some of the girls... Mm. Who went to that school? Where their hometown was Nishamba, so it started spreading there. It affected mm. 20, 217 people over there, what? and then by June, it spread to Ramashenya's Girls Middle School, which which affected another forty eight people. And during this time, it's affecting other schools too. And there were actually many schools that had to close because of this. That's so weird. So the symptoms died off six to 18 months after they had started. So along with laughter, the following symptoms were reported. Pain, fainting, flatulence, <laughs> flatulence, respiratory problems, rashes, attacks of crying and random screaming. So here we have those same symptoms, the, mm-hmm. the random screaming, the pain, the fainting, huh. stuff like that. Yeah. Really comes up in mass hysteria cases. Interesting. So, in total, 14 schools were shut down and 1,000 people were affected. Wow. So, these are like big, big numbers. Like, yeah, when you say mass, it's like mass. Mass, for yeah. sure. 
possible causes. Um, actually, two experts, I didn't put their names in here, but they, according to Wikipedia, they deemed it stress-induced because Tangan Tanganyika had just won its independence, um, and students had reported feeling stressed because of higher expectations mm. by their teachers and parents. Mm. So there's that kind of dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Next, I have the Hollandwell incident. It happened in, Ju- in 1980, actually, in July 1980 in Nottinghamshire, England. The Hollandwell show, and I think this one is interesting, too, because it has... Amount of big pe- not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and a yearly, an annual show called the Hollandwell Show. It was just a big event um, at the Hollandwell Showground, and spe- among other performances, specifically, there was a marching band there mm-hmm. um, because they were putting on a charity show, and it was also a com- it was a competition that was for charity. Sure. Um, during that time, kids started fainting without any apparent reason, and it seemed to be super contagious. Symptoms also included sore eyes and throats, vomiting, and dizziness. 300 children suffered from fainting attacks. Wow. So they're just like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, there was a quote from Wikipedia that said, by some guy, like, they started falling down like nine pins or something like that. (laughs) Is that that what they call it in England or something? I guess. Okay. Um... (laughs) Possible explanation, the use of pesticides in crop fields, specifically banned substance known as tritomorph. Investigations done 20 years after event. Oh yeah, this investigation was done 20 years after, and it disagreed with what was initially found. So it's kind Hmm. of... A mystery. A mystery. Yes. A mystery. Yes, of course. So this is my favorite one. Okay. It's murdery. (laughs) Good. (laughs) It's called... The Halifax Slasher. Yeah. Yeah. The hash slinging, hash bringing, clinging. The hash slinging slasher. I don't know what you're referencing. SpongeBob. Of course. That's what it always is. (laughs) And then green slime ooze from the walls. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) The Halifax Slasher. This happened in 1938, November, in Halifax, West Yorkshire. Gertie Watts and Mary Gledhill were walking down Old Bank Lane when they were attacked by some random strange dude. They, you know, they panicked everything. They um, called the police, or I mean, they didn't call the police. They, like, went to the police because it's the 40s. But um, They probably, like, ran down the road yelling, Police! Police! Oh, police! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hercules! Hercules! Sorry, go on. They gave their eyewitness accounts of the attack to police. Um... He, they said he had a mallet and, quote, bright buckles on his shoes. Local newspapers picked this up pretty quickly. Um, Five days after the Halifax Courier, Courier, Courier? Courier. I never knew how to say Courier, ran their report on the attacks, a a second report came in. Okay. So the newspaper published it, and five days later, somebody else... Mm -hmm reports the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mary Sutcliffe was attacked. She was able to fight off the attacker, but he disappeared into the night. Ooh. Um, she realized that Mysterious. her arm had been cut by something, mm. particularly, or most likely, some sort of knife. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. She also gave a clear description of her attacker, but police were not able to track down any anybody. They found no evidence connected to the crime, no no nothing, hmm. so, except these reports. Right. So after this second report, that's when the town started to panic, and the media picked up on it even more. Mm. So because of this search parties made of just, like, local men, like, vigilantes went out in, like, mobs to patrol the area and try to find this person. Um, Kill women, the beast! Exactly. <laughs> women were told not to walk alone at night. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a... I mean, I don't know. That, was there a curfew? I don't know. But a it was sort of informal curfew. Informal curfew, sure. yeah. The newspaper offered a reward, even, from the guy, but obviously no one, no one was captured. Mm-hmm. When Clifford Edwards, who was another resident in Halifax, went to assist the search efforts, the angry mob quickly turned on him because they thought that he was the slasher. Police had to escort him home so the mob wouldn't, like, kill him. Jesus. I also read that he was, like, breaking up a fight or something, Hmm. and people, like, misinterpreted it. As like yeah. him being like the bad guy or something oh, okay. or something like that. Yeah. Um, numerous attacks had been reported throughout the month of November. People were getting angry and, and suspicious. Like the same witch trials everybody was looking at each other. Mm-hmm. No one could provide any answers, and police had no evidence, no leads. Um, then Scotland Yard got involved. This how serious it got. And I think they also kind of wanted to put Scotland Yard in there to to really, to finalize it, to see what's going on. Um, after Scotland Yard got involved, people started to confess. There was no attacker. All wounds had been self-inflicted. <laughs> the fuck? A woman named Beatrice Soul was the first to admit that she had slashed her own arm after arguing, after being frustrated and arguing with her husband. Another woman named Hilda Lodge also admitted that she saw the reports, and this bitch just wanted the publicity. So At least she's honest. I, I, I know. In the end, five people were tra- charged with public mischief and four were sent to prison. Really? Huh. Mass hysteria, everybody. Interesting. Group of people going crazy all at once. Hey, um, do you want to go crazy all at once? Let's go crazy, crazy, crazy till we see the sun. That's crazy. Huh? Never mind. I thought you weren't going to sing this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did say that. Um, you kind of already mentioned your sources, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Wikipedia, obviously. The Psychology Today article. My main man, Gary Small, MD. Whoop, whoop. Um, Gary his, Small, MD. Yeah. Gary Small! Gary Small! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gary! <laughs> Jerry! Love you, Gary! Terry! <laughs> Gary, Terry, Terry! History.com article by Evan Andrews, The Guardian article, which is a really good one, Uh um, by John Waller, who also had a lot of um, insight into the psychological aspect. Mm -hmm. Smithsonian Magazine article by Jess Bloomberg, and A Sword and Scale, like the podcast article by Heather Septin. Septin. Cool. That was an interesting one. Um, Isn't that nuts? Yeah. And it's also like, do you remember... What was it, like, episode six or something when I did the so-called Cuban sonic attacks? Yeah, that could be mass hysteria. That's one of the things people say is that it could be mass hysteria, um, which it kind of fits in with, like, what you were talking about. So, who knows? Um, we're going to record the Weird News Extra here in a little bit. Like, we're actually doing it today. 
And I'm going to get more into that and, like, some newer stuff that's come out, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but we're going to do a little bit of weird news as well, right? Weird I'm just going to show my good news. Okay. Cool. I'll do a weird and a good. Okay. It happened mostly on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Where everything happens nowadays. Where everything happens. Um, so, yeah. But this story also just went viral. I heard about it on Twitter. But um, as some of us know here in the USA, there have been weird instances of white people calling the police on black people for doing totally normal things. Right. It started with those guys sitting in Starbucks well, and talking. started like a long time ago, but sure. That, that's like this, yeah, recent spate of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so they are absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. And there were many, many that I've read about, but this yeah. one... This, some white bitch lives across the street to this cute little black girl selling, Permit lemon, Patty. selling lemonade. Right. And she's like, oh, hell no. So she calls the police. She calls the police on, like, a seven-year-old girl. You know what she was doing? She was trying to get some money for some tickets to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. What? I mean, she's just, oh, isn't she a monster? I know, right? Like, ugh. Oh, yeah, like, because we hate entrepreneurialism in America, right? I know. <laughs> That's a really, like, really good point. Like, she was, like, embodying the spirit of America, and you fucking call the police? Like, come on. That's a really good point. Right. But, um, you know, the story went viral. Someone saw it on Twitter, and they went ahead and bought Disney tickets for her and her family. Good job. And there's this really cute video of her mom telling her what happened. And she's like clapping and like jumping up and down. Like, I'm going to go to Disney. Oh, I loved it. It was so great. I'm going to meet Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What are what pills are we on today? God right. damn. It's called uh, having a day off. You're right. <laughs> You're right, though. I'm excited because it's like Independence Day. And I love, I love Independence Day. Yeah. You know what I'm craving? I'm craving hot dogs. Mm. Just because it's Independence Day. Yeah. It's, like, appropriate. Let's go to Portillo's. So, <laughs> maybe. I, I don't have any money. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, um, first I'm going to do my good shit in the news. Okay. And then I'm going to do my weird slash good shit in the news. Okay, that was cute. <laughs> Mario's did a little weird head Ooh, dance. Yeah. Do on the head dance. Ooh, oh. E. Ooh, Ooh, ah, ah. Ting, ting. Walla, walla, bing, bang. I'm glad that happened. <laughs> um, so, okay, so my story, it's from uh, Time, uh, and it's a father and son who disagree over President Trump are running against each other for the same seat. God bless. These guys are fucking awesome. So, it's a father and son from Providence, Rhode Island, and apparently they have had, like, political disagreements and, like, discussions, like, the kids, like, whole life. So this is David Kiroa huh. Sr. and David Kiroa Jr., 47 and 22, respectively. Dude, I told you it was just like you and your dad. I know. And they both filed past Tuesday to run for the state house for the same seat. And the uh, dad running as a Republican, the son running as an independent. Because um, apparently he like would naturally be kind of, I think, a Republican. But he, like yeah, didn't get on the ticket. So they actually went down to register... At the same time, like they went in the same car <laughs> to go register, <laughs> and the, pe the people there at the office were apparently like super confused. 
<laughs> but they both got their paperwork in. They both got filed. They're both, like, going to be on the fucking ticket That's together. That's awesome. Which must be, like, super confusing for the people. They're like, wait, who am I voting for now? Or probably just like, let's take it into our own hands, son. And you really, you really want to do this? Yeah, I want to do it. Let's fucking do it. That's totally how it was too. Like apparently the dad was like, "Okay, you're," but you're like joking, right? And the son's like, "No, I'm not joking. Like I'm gonna do this. Like let's do this." And apparently the dad had run for office like ten years ago or something. Uh huh. And the son had actually helped to canvas for him, like going door to door. And uh, the dad didn't win or anything, but apparently it like left a really big impression on both of them. Yeah. So it kind of like laid the groundwork for like them doing it now so good stuff political engagement family i love it um for independence day so my weird slash good shit in the news is a story from cbs news and it's new chance at love for a woman who woke up from coma to find she has second husband Aww. mysterious so but also very cute so jeff and angela hartone are still in that getting to know you stage. This is like the first paragraph getting of the of their book. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. What's that from? Getting to like you. I better not do anymore. Um, that is from the King Nine. Yeah. Yeah, it's good shit. Good shit. Good it's shit. Uh, pretty good shit. Okay, keep going. So what happened was Angela was in a car accident about five years ago. And as a result of that, she had a traumatic brain injury, which left her both in a coma, but also without any memory of the past 17 years of her life. Yeah, randomly, 17 years was just wiped the fuck out. So even though her kids are, like, in their late teens, early 20s, she thought they were, like, still little fucking kids. And her current husband, who's her second husband, she in her mind, had never met before because she was still with her first husband at that time. In her memory. In her memory, right? Yeah. And so it's, like, pretty cute. Like, the the new husband, Jeff, like, he stayed with her the whole time. Like, Um, for five fucking years, he, like, sat beside his wife's bed, like, waiting for her to wake up. It's like, I'm, I'm, like, getting emotional talking about this. And he says that, you know, of course, they were really painful years that they probably would have broken a lot of marriages. But Jeff says that he believes the accident actually did exactly the opposite. So this is like a little quote from him. He says, I honestly believe that this happened for a reason. How many times have we said, I wish I could go back and do something over again? Ah. I've gotten to do that. Close quote. So it's so crazy. That's a great way to think of it. I know, right? It's like, hey, I got to fall in love with my wife and I got to, like, go on dates and, like, have, like, a new relationship and, like, fall in love. So that's what they over. did? They, like, went on dates and, like... Yeah, they just, like, <gasps> rebuilt the relationship. Ooh, that's so cute! Yeah, and and then they had a, a second, like, ceremony to, like, re-say re- their vows. I know. It's really cute. <laughs> good so, shit. Some, good shit. Some good shit to... We're not crying. Yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of news going on. So much fucking news. Um, one night, I was like, did you hear about this? And then Mario said, yeah, did you hear about this? And we were like, did you hear about this, this, this? So we've so we've we've a lot of stuff to talk about, but you're not going to hear it unless you pay for it. And also, thank you for listening. <laughs> <gasps>
<laughs> yeah, um, if you want to hear all about some new weird shit, there's something really great that I found on Reddit. Yeah. Which okay, is cool. pretty standard. You can get access to our Weird News Extra if you go to patreon.com yep. slash mystery murdery thingy. You can and, uh, donate a dollar. We'll give you a shout out. Hey, hey. What's up? What's up? Do we um, ever shout out Nick? My brother? Oh, fuck. We, we never did, did we? But we talk about Nick all the time. That's true. Shout so, out to Nick. Hey, thanks, Nick. My brother. Yeah. We're going to see Jurassic World this Friday. Yay for family We members. were going to go last Friday, but it was sold out. Oh, God. So, yes. $1 gets you our shout out. $5 gets you the Weird News Extra. Weird News Extra. So, we're about to do Volume 3. So, look out for that. But, uh, you know, you can look up our Instagram. we got some pictures on there. Um... And, yeah. What else? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you so fucking much. Like For real. For, for real. real. Like, Me we... and Mario literally just, like, goof off and record ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and we, like, put it out there. Maybe someone will listen to it. But I love it because it's, like, I just love, like, learning stuff and, like, reading about random fucking shit. And this, like, gives me an excuse to do that. It gives me an excuse to do something I already do. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, like, getting to tell other people about it. It's just, like, super cool. I don't know. Like, Go team. Thank you for the internet. So we can actually do this. I think about that a lot sometimes. <laughs> I know, right? Like, internet. thank God for the internet. Or rather, thank uh, DARPA and the University of Hawaii and, you know, Hedy Lamar and, like, all the fucking people who made it possible. Oh. All that stuff. That's like eight more stories we can get into, but those are not mysteries, so I don't know. Oh, were we going to like do that new segment too? I don't remember what you were talking about. It was just like something we loved from this week. Oh. It's like a good takeaway. I don't know. I don't have anything. Everyone kind of does something like that, so I don't know. I just thought maybe we could do it too. Um, but I thought of a good name for it, now I can't remember. I made some, some strawberry lemonade Smirnoff popsicles. Good. Delicious. Always a good thing. Definitely. Uh, I don't know why I said that because I don't really have anything either. I got to see my dog. Yeah. I love my dog. Um, I'll post a picture of her. <laughs> yeah. She's a queen. Nice. Um, nibbles. So, I don't know. I, I really loved listening. I listened to some um, some uh, speeches by Benazir Bhutto from like a conference back in 2002. And it was just really inspiring. Like, if you've never heard her speak, like, she's an amazing speech giver. It's, like, very articulate, very well organized, but, like, very um, genuine and, heartfelt. like, heartfelt, too. You know, it, it's, like, this is hard great, to combine. So hard. And, and also just, like, super inspiring. You know, like, when we were talking last episode about how she's, like, someone to admire, she's, like, Muhammad Ali or Martin Luther King Jr., like, it, that's like, it's really true. Like she's a modern day like civil rights hero, in some ways. Again, not perfect, but you know, like listen to her speak because it's like totally worth it. So yeah. I uh, that reminded me that I'm rereading the Harry Potter series. Oh yeah. Because I haven't read it since middle school, and I'm only halfway through the first book, but it's like such a journey. Yeah, that's awesome. Unforgettable. Cool. Are we done? This has gone on way too long. It's not the longest episode we've ever had. What's the longest episode we've ever had? Like, hour 30-something, I, I wonder what the Guinness World Record book for podcasting is. How long? How A single episode? Like, like continuously? Yeah. It's probably, like, 
24 hours or something crazy. Like, somebody's done just, like, a marathon episode. And how much do you think the people in that book get paid? Nothing. For being in the book? It's yeah. just exposure. It's not... You don't get paid. That's pretty dope. That sucks. <laughs> we should look into that. Uh, sure. Well, yeah, let's totally do that. <laughs> okay. That we're... would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're cool. Okay, we're done. We could each have, like, six topics. Right. Or if we like... run out, we can just, like, go on our phones and be like, Oh, I found something. Oh, this is also weird. <laughs> okay. You can cut out as much of this as you please. Cut it out. <laughs> no, that's safe. Oh. <laughs> that's not out. Okay, we're, we're, we should be done now. Bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye-bye uh, now. Bye. Oh, uh, uh, bye-bye. Good job, bye, you. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.